Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. In 1971, the Nobel Prize-winning economist Herbert Simon, he said this. He said, in an information-rich world, the wealth of information means a dearth of something else, a scarcity of whatever it is that information consumes. What information consumes is rather obvious. It consumes the attention of its recipients. Translation, multitasking is a myth. You cannot focus on a lot of different things all at once, especially when you're presented with lots of information. Your information, excuse me, your intention, your focus is limited. It is not limitless or infinite where you can focus on many different things and you'll never run out of attention and focus. No, your attention is limited. Herbert Simon is famous for a lot of his work, and he's regarded as one of the most foremost contributed contributors to computer science and artificial intelligence fields today. But perhaps what makes him most famous and most relevant is that in this body of work that he wrote in, let me remind you, 1971, he also made a bit of a prophecy, coining a new term, an attention economy. What he proposed is that your attention, just like other resources like land, food, water, and money, your attention is a resource. It is something that is limited, that's valuable, and that it's scarce. And I said that he was somewhat of a prophet because in 1971, he predicted that one day there would be entire systems dedicated to capitalizing and monotonizing your attention and mind. Fast forward a couple decades, is he right? Well, you guys have heard the phrase perhaps before that we live in an attention economy. You think about just social media and all that they're designed to do. Their purpose is designed to capture your attention, to get you to scroll and scroll and scroll. And when you hit the bottom of the limitless scroll button, that there's more that loads up and there's yet another video to watch. Let me break it to you. Netflix, Disney Plus, their purpose is not so much as to produce really fun shows and movies, movies for you as it is to capture your attention and keep it. Jeffrey Bezos, Target, they set up their websites in very complex technological ways that I don't understand, maybe you do, and then they give them really cute names to explain it like cookies to pay attention to what you look at, what you shop for, so that they grab your attention on their website and keep you shopping for more things for a much longer period of time. And it's just not commerce sites. It's your own email inbox. Companies have figured out that if they can just send stuff to you and you look at it and you click to one thing and the next thing and they can grab your attention long enough that you're going to give them your attention and your money. 
We live in an attention economy. And it would be really interesting, and you probably could have a whole entire sermon series that explores the spiritual implications of us living in a world like that. But that's not what this sermon's about. And that's not what this sermon series that we're calling Focused is all about. So why did I introduce to you this idea of an attention economy? Well, it's to serve as a metaphor. To serve as a metaphor much more important than where we spend our attention and therefore our money. There is an attention economy that matters because where we spend our attention, where we spend our focus, ultimately has bearing on where we will spend our eternity. Your attention, your focused attention is a limited resource. And there is competition for it besides just the tech and media companies. There's a much grander competition and war over your heart, soul, and mind's attention. And it's a war that Christ Jesus has won. It's a war that he has won, claiming for himself the prize for which he died, your heart, your soul, and your mind. And what we see in scripture is that Christ Jesus has gotten your attention, has won for himself your praise. Why? Because he was so focused on you. What you see throughout Jesus' entire life, Jesus' entire ministry, is that he had one mission and one purpose, and it was solely focused. Everything he did on that, it was heaven. It was getting you to heaven. And so you could say that Jesus is and was entirely focused on you and being with you forever. We read it a couple weeks ago that as Jesus traveled up throughout his ministry and set his sights towards Jerusalem, he set his face towards Jerusalem. In other words, he inwardly resolved that he was going to go to Jerusalem to die for you and rise to you no matter what. He was focused. The prophet Isaiah tells us, that Jesus set his face like flint towards his goal of winning you. That's won. That is done. It is finished, is what we just sang. And yet you know that the devil is not going quietly into the dark. No, he tries to strike up little battles throughout your life, in your heart, in your mind, because the devil is no dummy. He knows that your attention, your focused attention, is a limited resource. And so he wants to do whatever he can to get your focus to come off Christ, his cross, his empty tomb, and his promises. So what we're going to do in this sermon series is we are going to look at our focused Savior. We're going to look at his words, which give focus to our life. What we're going to look at throughout this series is how he focuses us on what worship really means, on what prayer really is. But this morning, as we look at Galatians chapter 5, we're taking a look at how God focuses our eyes of faith. He focuses our eyes of faith on Jesus' roots over my fruits. And to unpack what that means, let's get into Galatians chapter 5. Here's verse 1. The Apostle Paul, writing to the Galatians, said this, that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, 
and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. If we're going to understand Galatians chapter 5, which we're looking at all of this morning, it's probably important that we understand that very first verse. What does it mean that it is for freedom that Christ has set you free? What are you free from? Where is this freedom found? Let's answer those two questions to start. What are you free from? Well, the case that Paul has just made in chapter one, two, three, and four, which we don't have time to read all of this morning, is that Christ Jesus has set you free from sin, from death, from the devil, that the guilt and the shame that comes from that. He has set you free from that by dying and rising for you. He has done all of that, but he has done more. He has also set you free from a life of self-justification, a life of self-salvation. He has set you free from a life of trying to get good with God based on your own performance, productivity, and your own merits. He has set you free from that by giving you Christ's merit, Christ's work, his finished work as your very own, all of it for free. He has set you free from that. And so that is what your freedom is. Now here's the question, where is that freedom found? Where do you, where do you access, where do you get that kind of freedom? That freedom is not found in any one geographical location. The freedom that we have from Christ is not the freedoms that we enjoy in our country, freedom to practice religion. No, the freedom that Christ gives is a release from a performance spirituality, a performance mentality. He has set you free from captivity to productivity, spiritually speaking. He has set you free in your conscience. What that means is that as you look at your life and you hear those lies whispered into your ear from your own nature or from Satan himself who says you're not enough. You don't do enough. You have done too much wrong things. Your conscience can shout back, I know I can never do enough. I know I have never done enough, but Christ has done it all. In the same way that your conscience often accuses you, well, our egos can also consume us. And so at the very same time where you may despair, oftentimes, on the other hand, we might get kind of full of ourselves and think, you know what? I have been pretty great. I have, I have done quite a bit to make God happy. And it's at that very same moment that God has given us freedom, freedom for our egos and our consciences because he comes along and he says, you could never do enough, but Christ has done it all for you. That is what Paul is talking about in verse one of chapter five of Galatians. And not only that, that is what he has talked about for the first four chapters of Galatians, that Christ Jesus has set you free from the captivity of spiritual productivity. This idea that what you produce is what gets you right with God. How you behave gets you right with God. No, he has set you free from all of that. And he tells you it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. He summarizes all of that in that first verse before he goes on. And you know why? It's 
because Paul knows. Paul knows that our default mode of all human beings is to be locked up, to be locked up in that captivity of spiritual productivity. What he said is, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. I should probably give you some background. What happened in Galatia is this. Paul came and preached the gospel. Paul came and declared to everybody that the freedom they have in Christ is found in their conscience and it releases them from a life of trying to win God's favor. He proclaimed the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ to them. And then some other people came along. Some other people came along and said, eh, Paul's right. No, Jesus is pretty good. Jesus, in fact, has one for you eternal life. But, but you still need to follow the Old Testament Mosaic ceremonial law. You need to be circumcised. People came along and said, yep, Jesus Christ and the gospel, it proclaims to you that you are saved by Christ. But you gotta do this or else you're not really a real follower of Christ. In other words, what people did is they came along and they took their focus, their focus, which was on Christ Jesus, on Jesus' roots, and they shifted it to your fruits, to your produce, towards your performance and what you do in Christ. Focus from Christ to you. And Paul comes along and says, no, no, no. If you let yourself be circumcised, if you focus on your fruits over Christ's roots, it's all lost. You don't even need Christ. If you think that you're going to get favor by getting circumcised and following the Old Testament Mosaic law, it is though Christ were worthless, no value whatsoever. Can I share something with you as we think about how this applies to our lives? I have gotten to be a part of ministry, whether in training or since graduating from the seminary, for the last 10 plus years. I've gotten to do ministry in five countries and over a dozen different cities. And you want to know something? In none of those places were people tempted to get circumcised. Not once. In none of those places, in none of those churches, did anyone ever kind of sit back and go, you know what? I love this message of the gospel, but I'm kind of still consumed with whether or not I should be circumcised or not. If I should follow the Old Testament law and do it in these ways, not once. But here's the question. Do we still have our own personal self-salvation projects? Oh, for the Galatians, the issue was circumcision. What's the project for you? What's the issue? What is that thing that you look to and identify with as your hope and your confidence and your trust? What is it that you look to? What is it that you look to that you produce and do in your spiritual life 
that takes your focus off Christ and his promises. I'm guessing it's not the Old Testament Mosaic law. I'm guessing it's not circumcision. But one of the great ironies and why we're looking at all of chapter five of Galatians is the fact that right here in this chapter is one of the greatest attention suckers of all Christians. It's one of the most famous verses in all of scripture. And it's here in Galatians chapter five. The first two verses are not the most famous and popular verses in Galatians five. It is verse 22 and 23. It talks about the fruit of the spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You look at that list and you think about your life as a Christian. Who doesn't want those things? Who doesn't want more love, joy, peace, and self-control in their life? I think every single one of us do, but here's what often happens to Christians. They read through the first four chapters of Galatians and literally 21 verses of chapter five, and they forget their focus, the focus that Paul drives home again and again on, on Jesus' roots and the freedom, the foundation of your faith, and they focus on their fruits. Essentially, what happens is the question no longer is, what did Christ Jesus do for me? But how am I doing? How am I doing at this Christianity thing? The focus goes from Jesus' perfect performance to my performance. How am I doing as a Christian? How am I doing with my fruits? What kind of fruits do I produce as opposed to the fact that Jesus has completed everything for you and given you all that is his? The focus shifts. The focus shifts from Jesus' roots to my fruits. And you look at how subtly, how serious this shift of focus can be. Just fill in the blank. It doesn't have to be an obsession or maybe uh, a worry over whether I should be circumcised or not. It could simply be an obsession with producing love, joy, and peace that burdens you, that puts you back in captivity to spiritual productivity. All of a sudden, my life is all about experiencing more love, giving more love, receiving more love in my Christian community. It's experiencing peace and joy. All of a sudden, we read through this, and instead of thinking about the one who has given us a love, a joy, and a peace that transcends our understanding, that transcends this word, a joy that is eternal, our focus is all on my joy, my love, and the love given to me, and the peace that I feel in my heart. You can go on with this. Forbearance, or maybe in your Bible translations, it says patience. It's also all, all this idea of, of bearing up under trials and difficult challenges in our lives, spiritually speaking. And we think to ourselves, well, do I have this, this fruit of perseverance, this, this fruit of forbearance and patience in the midst of suffering? And then our focus is all on my suffering instead of the one who makes you strong in every single circumstance so that you can bear up under. See the focus? You see the shift? 
It can go on with the characteristics listed in here. Goodness, gentleness, self-control, all really good things to have. And don't think that I'm not saying it's good to be good or be patient or be gentle or be self-controlled. But can you think about how if all this does is become another checklist, am I being good? Am I being patient? Am I being kind? Am I being self-controlled? focus entirely shifts off the one who was patient, who was gentle, gentle like a lamb led to a slaughter so that he could wash you clean for all of the times where you've been selfish and even your pursuits of fruits. Here's a hard one for Christians. Faithfulness. Can you be burdened by your own faithfulness? You think about the Christian who knows Jesus loves them, but then all of a sudden says, okay, now I need to be faithful to him. Now I need to be faithful with my time. I really need to be faithful with the gifts, the talents, and the abilities God has given to me, and I need to make sure that every single day I'm being faithful in how I apply them, and I'm being faithful to all my Christian friends, and all of, all of a sudden the faithfulness is not so much about the author and the perfecter of your faith, but on you. The focus has shifted. The focus shifts from Jesus' roots over to my fruits. Here's the illustration that that Scripture uses. It's that when you are rooted in Christ, Luke chapter 15, Jesus says, when you remain in me and I in you, you can produce good fruits. This is what Paul is picking up on when he talks about fruits in Galatians chapter 5. When you are in Christ, when you are focused on Jesus' roots, the foundation of your faith, the freedom that you have in Christ Jesus, what naturally happens? You will produce fruit. But you see the focus. The focus is on Christ and not on the fruits. It's the gospel, the good news that Christ has saved you and given you freedom that, that must come first. And if it doesn't, well, spiritually, scripturally, and logically, it fouls that you can't produce fruit. If you don't focus on your Jesus roots, there will be no fruits. And your faith will die. You say, man, <laughs> come on, man. My face is just going to dry up and die. I get it. I get it. This is important. But isn't this kind of just a subtle emphasis difference? I mean, isn't this kind of just a matter of, uh, you know, emphasis or interpretation that we focus on Jesus' roots over and above my fruits? Well, we've taken enough time on the first two verses. Listen, and you tell me if Paul thinks this is a big deal or not. Verse three says this, verse two, mark my words, I, Paul, tell you, if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself 
through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. You think Paul's serious about this? Is this focus big deal? It's a huge deal. It's an absolutely huge deal. And I want to quickly point out two dangers that happen to you and Christians everywhere if our focus is on my fruit over Jesus' roots. Here's the first one. Paul said it, that Christ will be of no value. You will be alienated from Christ, that you will be fallen away from grace. Those are serious words. To be alienated from Christ, to be cut off from his supply of grace if your focus is on what? You trying to justify yourself, your own self-salvation projects, you and your fruit over your, your roots in Christ Jesus. You'll be cut off from God's grace. What does it mean to be cut off from his grace? It means that no forgiveness, no hope, no joy, no peace in eternity is yours. But instead, what you receive is God's judgment, his condemnation, for you are outside of Christ. The first certain danger that happens when you focus on your fruits over Jesus' roots is that you're alienated from Christ. Paul gives us three very stark pictures of how that can happen. He gives the description of a runner running a race. And this is a very, very popular metaphor in scripture and of Paul's, that you are looking ahead towards the finish line, the prize that Christ has given you. And someone from out of nowhere cuts you off not only cuts you off, but takes your focus away from the finish line. If you think this is no big deal, like it's just a matter of interpretation, maybe a little semantics, that kind of emphasis, Paul says, watch out. Here's the second one, a little yeast. It'll work through the whole batch of dough. And then Paul gives another one of a minor, minor surgery. He says, you know what? It could turn into a whole anatomical alteration. He says, if you're just going to cut off Christ, cut Christ out a little bit. No, it doesn't work that way. You might as well cut them all off completely. The picture of what he's describing is this, of cutting ourselves off at the base of our tree from the roots of Christ Jesus and the freedom, the forgiveness, and the love that is yours. He says, when the focus of your Christian faith, when your eyes of faith look more to your fruits than your roots, it's like telling somebody who is drowning in the water that, come on, all you got to do is is kick harder. All you got to do is paddle a little faster. All you have to do is just swim better and you'll be saved. It doesn't work. 
It doesn't work. Why? Because Paul said it is by faith. It is by trusting in Christ Jesus, by being focused on him alone as the root of our faith, that we have his righteousness, that it is gifted to you, that he has clothed you with it, that the waters of your baptism, they have actually drowned the old Adam and they have given you new life and salvation in which we hope. That is what you have. The first danger is that you could be cut off from all of that. And the second one, Let's like it. Verse 13 and following. Paul says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's God's word so far. Here's the second danger. Not only will you certainly be in danger of being cut off from Christ, but you are certainly in danger of being destroyed by each other. Think back to the attention economy and the whole concept that our focused attention is a limited resource. If all your focus is on your self-salvation project, If all your focus and your attention is being poured in to your spiritual productivity, what's left? What's left for anybody else? What's left for everybody else? And never mind that, you are still in prison. You are a prison of your own making a prison of our captivity to this idea that we need to be spiritual producers of all this fruit and you can't even get out to help anybody else. And everybody else who's stuck in prison with you, well, you're just gonna bite and devour each other because it's self-serving. If your focus is on your fruit over your spiritual roots of Christ Jesus. I said it before, our our default position is that we are focused on ourselves, And that is why Paul builds this crescendo into his letter of Galatians. He points it out again and again that, that you have freedom in Christ Jesus, that Christ in you is your beginning and end. You're all in all for the first four chapters, the first 70% of this book. And then he highlights the dangers of if you focus besides that, on something that isn't that. And then he says, but. But if you do focus on that and you do walk by the Spirit, well, here's the good news. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. 
Stand firm them and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. You, verse 13, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, forbearance, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let's not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. This is the word of God. Christ Jesus has set you free. Christ Jesus has set you free from a life that is focused on you and your fruits. The only question we haven't answered about that freedom yet is what is that freedom for? What do you do with all that freedom? What do you do with freedom that liberates you from having to do anything to get right with God? What do you do with freedom of the conscience where you don't have to do anything, but at the same time, you can't do whatever you want, but instead you rejoice because you're held captive to a new and more wonderful captivity. Your soul is captive. Your attention is focused on the roots of your faith in Christ Jesus. What does scripture say? Well, you are free now to just go and serve, to just go and serve others in whatever way presents itself to you. Open your eyes. Who in your life do you see? Who in your life do you love? Go, go and love them. Go and serve them and be absolutely free in all of it. Don't worry about if you love them and serve them and do enough because Christ has set you free from that. Don't take pride in all that you love and do and serve for them and all your goodness and faithfulness to them because Christ has set you free from that. He has absolutely liberated you to just go and love and walk with the Spirit, the Spirit of Christ Jesus who is in you. It's no longer you who live, but it's Christ in you. And that is what we need to highlight with these verses, that we use our freedom to serve one another in love, but the fruit, I've been calling it yours. It's really not. It's really not mine or yours after all, is it? It's the fruit of the Spirit. It is the spirit that Christ Jesus has placed in your heart as the deposit until the day where he will be with you forever in heaven that produces all of these things. Focus on Jesus' roots. It means that certainly you will have the blessings and benefits of walking with the spirit, the spirit grabbing your hand and walking beside you and producing inside of you all of his good gifts. And catch this. It means that you'll never run out of of what you need to serve others. Oftentimes we might think to ourselves like, man, I don't, I don't know if I'm patient enough. I don't know if I'm kind enough. I don't know if I'm gentle enough. 
No, no, no. It is the fruit of the Spirit. Oftentimes, Christians think it's fruits. Like, ah, maybe I'm patient. Maybe I'm self-controlled. Maybe I'm one of these, but certainly not all of these. No, it's, it's singular. This is the fruit. This is the fruit that comes when we focus our eyes of faith on our Jesus roots. And it is produced in you by the Holy Spirit. Christian author Sinclair Ferguson writes this in his book, The Christian Life. He says, true faith, true faith takes its character and its quality from its object, not itself. Faith gets a person out of himself and into Christ. Its strength strength of faith therefore depends on the character of Christ. Even those of us who have weak faith have the same strong Christ as others. By nature, we are navel gazers. By nature, we always are looking inside of ourselves to find enoughness, to find righteousness. But what faith in Christ Jesus does was grab your heart and pull you outside of yourself and focuses you on all the freedom that is yours in Christ Jesus. And the result of that, it means that your faith is not your own. It is not yours to be strong or weak, but it is the same Christ Jesus who is the foundation and the strong root system And every single Christian, the whole irony of this idea of producing fruits is just this, that the more I focus on me, myself, and my spiritual productivity, my spiritual produce, my spiritual fruits, the less I actually produce. But the more you focus your eyes of faith on the freedom, the forgiveness, and the hope of eternal life that Christ Jesus has won for you, the more that you root yourself through God's word and sacrament in Christ Jesus, the more fruit that you have. May God grant that for all of us, for Jesus' sake. Amen.